0: Namaste, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. We often think of love, you know, in us or in the other, and certainly it's there, and it's also this energy, this presence, this power between us. Love. The greatest of these is love. You may recognize where those words come from. They come from part of the chapter, 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Now we see but a dim reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am known. And now these three remain, now these three abide. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Today I want to talk building around some of the words from the 13th century mystic Sufi mystic poet Rumi, what love is, what love does, and how to love better. What it is, what it does, and how to love better. I'm struck by the importance of language and I catch myself carelessly using some words at times and certainly love is one of those words that I carelessly use at times and I imagine you might as well. When I say, I love dark chocolate, what I really mean is I really enjoy the flavor of it, but I certainly don't mean the same thing as when I say, I love my husband, I love my children, I love this energy and presence called spirit, called God. In our language, we have the word love. In scripture, when it is used now, the greatest of these is love, it is translated from the Greek, and the Greek didn't have just one word for love. Perhaps you know or you don't. They had four words for love. They had the word storge, which meant the kind of love typically that you might associate with the love that a parent has for a child, the love of compassion, the word philia, the love between friends, eros, romantic or sexual love, and agape, unconditional love, divine love. I think it's important to note that because in a way it says there's a recognition of the nuance and the depth of this thing we try in our English language to describe in just one word. I remember many years ago when my dad, when I would ask my dad to tell me stories about when he worked on the dew line. I was just a baby when he took that that job working on the Dew Line with setting up radar way just south of the North Pole. And at that time, many years ago, the Inuit, we call them Eskimos, but they call themselves or refer to themselves as Inuit, had tw- more than 20 words, he told me, more than 20 words for the word snow. Why do you think that might be? We don't have a whole lot of use for the word snow in San Diego. But in the North Pole, in what was their environment, their home, they had better know everything they could possibly know about snow for their very survival. A number of weeks or months ago now, I did a series of messages where I pulled in part from some of the recent work of Brene Brown in her book. I think it, if I'm remembering the title, Atlas of the Heart. And I was struck by how in that book she, in her research, talked about the difficulty we have in our own personal development and growth because for so many of us we are very inarticulate, very ignorant in a way, of the language of emotion. And that in her research it showed how very few words the average person has to identify what it is that they're feeling inside of themselves. And no wonder we have the problems that we have in relationships and just in, in life in general. So the Greeks had four words. We kind of dump everything into the one word, love. What did Rumi have to say? What did he say love is? He starts us off clearly, I think. He says, love is not an emotion, it is your very existence. Love is not an emotion, it's your very existence. It does not mean that this energy of love, I think love is an energy, is a force, and it certainly moves through our emotions, but it can move through that whole gamut of the four emotions, if you will, that the Greeks identified under the banner of the word love, from compassion to friendship love, parental love, to romantic and sexual love. Love transcends and includes all of, it, all of it. It's not an emotion. It's our very existence. He says, love is the whole thing. The whole thing. We are only pieces. Love is a sea of no end. We are a drop in it. Sometimes when I feel stuck in my life or in my thinking or stuck with a situation or problem I'm wrestling with, sometimes when I feel that way, what I have found to be helpful is to try to step back and take a wider angle view of it. To try to remind myself that what seems so very big is just a slice of the totality and the infiniteness of my life. To step into the idea of, The um, magnitude of the universe in which we live. And as Rumi is saying, we are only pieces. Love is a sea of no end. We are a drop in it. Think of our beautiful Pacific Ocean, the vastness of it, of just what we can see. And that's a small part of what it is. And that we are a drop in that. But love is the whole thing. And I think it's kind of like a puzzle in some ways. At least I think oftentimes love feels like a puzzle. Especially relationship love can certainly feel like a puzzle. And at times it can feel like a puzzle. You know, you know the satisfaction when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle? How many of you did j- jigsaw puzzles during the pandemic, right? We did all sorts of things during the pandemic, right? The satisfaction you feel when all the pieces are finally in, right? But the dissatisfaction if you just happen to have lost one piece. I can remember we had that experience putting together a 500-piece puzzle, and we kept looking and looking and looking for this one piece. Well, we happened to have been putting it together on a piece of felt so we could move it off the table and still have dinner, and somehow it had gotten underneath the felt. And we never thought to look there. We didn't look on the floor. We didn't, I mean, we looked on the floor. We looked everywhere we thought it could be, but we never looked, looked underneath. But, man, as soon as we could take it out and put it in... It's like this feeling of, ah. And I think that while love is a whole thing and we are a piece of it, without the piece that we are, something's missing. Just like that jigsaw puzzle. And each and every one of us have a place in that wholeness of what we call love. And each piece, I think, is shaped a little bit differently than the other. And sometimes we like the fact that those pieces are shaped differently. And sometimes they can annoy the heck out of us, right? That's when we call sandpaper to the soul. Rumi also says, Love is the bridge between you and everything, much like Natalie sang in Denise's song. Love is the bridge between you and everything. It's an energy. It can move us from where we are to where we want to be. Love gives direction to our life. We move in the direction of where our love is flowing toward what our love is flowing toward. It animates us. It moves us. We could spend a lifetime trying to describe and to say what it is. What's important is that we come into an embrace of what it means to us and that that definition is broad enough to hold all of the mystery and the majesty of what it is. What does it do? What does love do? Think about that for yourself. When you practice love, what does it do in and through and for you? When you've been in romantic love, what does it do to you? When you feel the love of friendship, What does it cause you to do when you feel the love of kindness? What does it cause you to do? Love changes us, I think, fundamentally. It changes us, and it changes us for the better. That can't be said of everything, but love changes us for the better. Rumi writes, I was dead, then alive, weeping, then laughing. The power of love came into me, and I became fierce like a lion, then tender like the evening star. Fierce like a lion, then tender like an evening star. When we are a conduit for love, and I think any kind of love really, when we are a conduit for the pureness of that energy of love, We are changed before anything around us is changed. That which is around us and between us will change when we are vibrating and being used as an instrument of love. But before anything out here changes, it is we, from the inside out, that experience the transformation, the change of being at that energy of love. Our very Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. We've heard many new thought kinds of writers write about the idea that it's either love or it's fear. I don't know that I say it's only those two, but I do appreciate and understand what they're pointing to. Perfect love casts out fear. We've seen, I'm sure, and heard the remarkable feats Human feats, the strength, our physical human strength that can be mustered up when we are motivated by the power of love to care for or to protect that which we love. I attended Gail's seminar last Sunday as she was teaching some of us self-defense techniques. And she asked us a question she always asks in her seminar, what is the most powerful animal on the planet? And she said over the years, she's had all sorts of answers from some people saying a mosquito. And mosquitoes can do a lot of damage, right? A lot of disease can be born from mosquitoes to snakes, to lions and tigers and bears. She said, no. The mo- And men comes up in the conversation often as an answer, but she said, no. The most dangerous animal on the planet is a mother protecting her child. Think about that. I think there's a tremendous amount of truth to that. Rumi says, love is fearless in the midst of the sea of fear. When we are a vehicle of love, whatever fear we may feel inside, somehow we transcend. I do remember in the very early years of of ministry the fear I would feel inside of getting up and talking in front of a group of people. I still don't know what I was thinking of when I said yes to ministry with this fear inside of I really would rather be in the back of the room listening than in the front of the room talking. And yet in ministry, this is a significant part of it. It's not all of it. But I can remember the fear didn't really show on my face and you couldn't really hear it in my voice, but man, my body felt it." But what cast that out over time was the love of the teaching and the the love of wanting to make a difference somehow. And when that became it, the thing, then all the rest kind of just faded away. Natalie, I don't know if that's true as a singer or a musician, but, but when what you're about is wanting to contribute something that you think would be of value in some way, a teaching, a song, something that can help someone? then the fear is lessened, and eventually, I believe it goes away. What is love? What does it do? It's a path to God, to spirit. <clears throat> I think at, <coughs> excuse me, I think in every spiritual tradition, there is an emphasis on love love toward one another, and love toward whatever we think of when we think of the Supreme, when we think of God, when we think of Spirit. Remy says that love reveals, our, uh, reveals us to ourselves. Embark on the journey of love. It takes you, <clears throat> it takes you from yourself to yourself. That's kind of like 1 Corinthians. Now we see dimly, but then face to face. Eventually, we will see clearly. Why? Because we begin to see ourselves and we begin to see the other. And we begin to see and feel the love between us. And whatever the differences are that show up tend to not be nearly as important because we're seeing through new and different eyes. How to love? Boy, that's, who am I to tell you? to love. I can't. I can point to some ideas from Rumi, and I will, and I can point to some of what I try to practice, but ultimately it's always about what strikes a chord of truth inside of us. I know that that which is your inner guide, your God self, your divine self, it always knows what would be most helpful for you to hear and to remember. And I hope you trust that. I trust that and know that for you. I hope you trust that and know it for yourself. So how to love. Rumi says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Sounds like Course of Miracles, doesn't it? Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. Earlier I shared the Marianne Williamson quote with you that love is what we came here, what we knew, how we're born, but fear is what we've learned while we're here. Why? I think there's not any one answer, but probably many different answers. If we feel attacked, we feel afraid. If we feel embarrassed or vulnerable, we may put up a wall, a barrier. If we have trusted another with our heart, with our story, with ourself, and then found it not understood or turned against us or somehow betrayed, there's a certain part of our human nature where where we naturally put up a wall. And why do we do that? to protect ourselves, to say, I'm not ever going to feel that hurt again. But what's the price we pay for doing that? We may think we are keeping the hurt away, but we are also shutting out the love. The love in us trying to get out, get stuck, and the love that exists between us, whether it's between people or the divine presence of love, has this barrier that it's, that we've put up. Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. It's a great thing to journal on. If you feel that there's not enough love that you are feeling in your life, whichever form of it may be, to inquire over time, to journal the deepest part of yourself. Are there barriers I'm not seeing? And what might those barriers be? And then when we can identify them, we will usually have a next step that will reveal itself to us that we can take. Rumi suggests, listen with ears of tolerance, see through eyes of compassion, speak with the language of love. That's a whole life practice right there In what, three, four short sentences, listen with the ears of tolerance, see through the eyes of compassion, speak with the language of love. I can't take credit for this next piece, but I really like it. Remember, we have two ears and one mouth. Our ears are kept open by design. Our mouth can be shut by choice. And I would add, often it ought to be. How many times have you said something in a moment of pain or anger and so wish you could have taken it back? Am I the only one that said, I am? Okay. And now, sometimes we do it in email, right? Oh, should not have hit send, right? Do you remember when Google had a little, fe- I think it was Google, had a little feature where you could have a delay, like you touch send, but you, ha- you could pull it back. I don't think they have that anymore. I think maybe they need to have that some more, right? Listen with ears of tolerance. See through eyes of compassion. Speak with the language of love. I imagine as you hear some of these words, you can't help, because I know you study. I know you're here. I know you listen. I know you are on a spiritual quest. You can't help, I'm sure, but hear the familiarity, some of these concepts. Whether we're learning about some of the principles and practices in Buddhism or some of the core metaphysical teachings or practices or even some of the scripture in our Old Testament or New Testament, there's a certain familiarity with these principles and truths because they are principles and truth. And they get expressed through poets and through theologians and through many different sacred texts. And to me, that's one of the ways that we know their universality and how right they are because they're not unique. Rumi writes, Raise your words, not your voice. It is rain that grows flowers, not thunder. Yeah, I like that one too, Dorothy. Raise your words, not your voice. It is rain that grows flowers and thunder. It took me a long time to really appreciate the value of the most gentle approach to personal and spiritual growth. That, yeah, you can go rah-rah-rah and you can try to push through and you can try to just make it happen. Or you can try to point out all the faults and all the mistakes. You might get somebody to kind of move or change for a while, whether it's a person or a congregation or or a group of people. But what's that saying? A man convinced against his will is a man of the former opinion still. A man convinced against his will is a man of the former opinion still. To me, it speaks of how we influence through the expression of love the potential for change and transformation. It is not through loudness. It is not through force. It is through gentleness. It is through loving kindness. It is rain that grows flowers, not thunder. And just a couple more roomy ideas to end with here with the how-to. He suggests, be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Be grateful for whoever comes, for each has been sent as a guide from beyond. What a different world we would live in if we could really all practice that consistently with everyone. If that was our attitude, that I'm going to move into the energy of gratitude for whoever comes into my life, whether it is for a brief time, and whether they're coming in feels like a sandpaper that's helping to polish my rough edges away, or whether it's one that will come and walk b- alongside me for a while and be my friend and my coach, and someone that inspires me but then moves away, or whether it be one who comes and stays for my entire journey, that everyone comes and has the potential to teach me something. Everyone. I was struck by this, Dorothy, and Keith's service yesterday, that one of the things that was said of him was his deep belief that every, that he could learn something from everyone. I think he was right, and I think Rumi is pointing to that too. And it's one of the ways when we really live from that practice, and it is a practice, it's not always easy to do, but when we live from that practice, we show up. With much greater love. And the last two I'm going to share with you, one is to me deeply spiritual and powerful and the other is light-hearted. Rumi says, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing there is a field. I will meet you there. That one brings emotion to me. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing there is a field. I'll meet you there. When we're stuck in a relationship, and we're into right doing and wrong doing. If we can just remember to not stay there, or at least if we're there, not to build a tent, you know, move through there as quickly as we can and realize that there is something beyond that, out beyond ideas of wrong doing and right doing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And this last one every time your spouse or lover says something stupid, Make your eyes light up as if you just heard something brilliant. (laughs) Thought I better end with that one. May you be inspired by something that got triggered in you from some of these beautiful words of Rumi, and, and just a little explanation here. Some of you have been asking, you know, what book am I am I using? And I'm I'm pulling in part from some of the work of Coleman Barks. He was a secular translator for Rumi's work, but what I also realize is things get lost in translation, right? And even our own Bible. depending upon what translation of the Bible you read, or if you're reading a paraphrase of the Bible, you're going to get a very different, or possibly get a very different slant. So you're getting somebody's translation of Rumi and what I get from that. So take whatever resonates with you that you feel, wow, this could be helpful to me, and then leave everything else aside, okay? Namaste. Namaste.